These words, these are the words that we're using for our, for our series in Hebrews 2. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like us in every way. In order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Right? That he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he went through these trials and temptations. He's able to help those of us who are also going through them. Is anybody in here online grateful for that? Yeah, very much so. Problem is that we live here, right? We've talked about it over and over again. We live in this space of this already promise that we have in God, that we have because of Jesus, but we just don't have it yet, right? There's this constant pull for us who know the Lord, who've been saved and redeemed by that atonement he made for us. There's this constant struggle that we have, right, in that in-between space. It's a complicated space to live in, right? And part of what has happened to the church over decades is it's lost a little bit of sensitivity at times to the struggle of human beings who love Jesus. Listen, if you love Jesus online and you love Jesus in here, let me hear you say amen, right? And listen, just because you love Jesus, your life has not been absent of struggles. Is that true, right? Listen, they're not, those two things are not separatable. They're not, they're not to be separated. You're a, you're a human living here, but you love Jesus, which means it's going to be complicated. And the reality is having no sensitivity to that, right? Having no mercy for that makes us unlike Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus had to become like us so he could become what? A merciful first, then faithful high priest. If anybody thinks that Jesus is faithful to us without having learned mercy, you don't understand what Jesus was doing here. He had to become merciful. Listen, there was no way for him to understand the sacrifice he needed to make for us till he lived what we lived in the process. And when you develop mercy, listen, when you develop mercy toward people and what they're living in and how they're living it, right, it makes, it makes being faithful easier. It makes it more doable. And part of what's happened in our testimony, listen, part of what's happened in our testimony as believers is we've lost the sensitivity to that reality. We overreact to the more faithful elements and we under respond to the mercy that's required. Unfortunately, we are people that switch the pendulum like crazy. And now we have slid all the way over. And now we're so focused on mercifulness that we're willing to compromise faithfulness to get it done. We are so stupid, are we not? I just get so frustrated with that. When Jesus came, he came to become merciful and he came to be faithful. He came full of grace and truth. Why is it we have such a hard time with that? Why is it we struggle finding such a healthy balance when our Savior had that balance? And so the reason why we're doing this, this series on emotions through the book of Psalms is because it is a constant battle. Listen, let's be clear. It's a constant battle that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ between this, this this part of our brain that we've talked about, listen, we've talked about it, right? The part of your brain that controls emotions also makes decisions. Do you see how dangerous that is? 
I mean, listen, I don't know what you have said lately and about how you feel, but my guess is everybody online, everybody in here has made decisions based on how they have felt and they wish they wouldn't have made a couple of them, right? Please don't look at the person that you're married to thinking they might think that was one of your bad decisions, okay? Right? But listen, divorce, marriage, right? Addiction, <clears throat> quitting a job, right? All kinds of things that we do based on how we feel. The problem is our brain is wired by God to have a part of our brain that processes emotions and decision-making in the same place. That's dangerous, right? It's incredibly dangerous. But if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, the Bible says you now have been endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit, which doesn't act in accordance with how you feel or how I feel. And so as Christians, we're trying to find this balance between this part of my brain that is so human and is so filtered by the life experiences that I've had, right? We've created neural pathways in our brain to know that when we feel this, we do this, right? Listen, when I get agitated, you know what my, my neural pathway in my brain is to do when I get agitated? I clean. Anybody else? Oh, man. Listen, if you come into my house and you see the furniture's been rearranged, the first thing you can assume is I've been angry in the last 24 hours, right? People know when I'm changing my office around, Cord's mad, right? Cord's mad, right? When I get aggravated and frustrated, I clean, right? When my kids walk into the house and they see me doing the dishes, picking up trash, vacuuming the floor, they just look at each other and go, we need to go, right? Because... That's my neuro pathway because when I feel that, that's what gets triggered, right? You know those things, right? Some of you, when you get sad, right, you go shopping. I don't want to see you raise your hands because that might be a fight in your home, right? But we do all kinds of things. Some people, when they're sad, they just eat, right? They, we go through these kinds of things. The problem is... That for Christian people, we've been endowed with a different spirit, God's Holy Spirit, that doesn't always act or want to act in accordance with our formed neural pathways. Your neural pathways, my neural pathways, our responses to outside stimuli in regarding to how we feel have been formed through a broken experience. The Holy Spirit's responses are not formed through a broken experience. Ray Stedman, a guy that I like reading and listening to, wrote this about the book of Psalms. He said this, the book of Psalms particularly reflects the variety of human hopes. Every experience of man's heart is reflected here. No matter what mood you find yourself in, some Psalm will reflect that mood. For this amazing book records every one of man's emotions and reactions. Some people seem to have discovered the secret of perpetual emotion, right? That was me for the longest time. These people certainly ought to get well acquainted with the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms because here's why. In it, you get to hear the human experience as it tries to rationalize in its heart and in its brain how to walk with God faithfully in spite of all of these things I feel. It's this constant pull. 
Listen, it's the constant pull that all of you who love Jesus feel. It's the constant pull of all of you who are online that love Jesus feel. You have this human experience that the part of your brain that feels emotions and makes decisions is created by what you have gone through. But you have the truth of God's word and the presence of his spirit that are not corrupted by your experience are not corrupted by sin. And those two things are constantly colliding within us. Here's what scripture says, right? Ecclesiastes nine, we read this or three says this. What does the worker gain from everything that they do? All the work that we put in. I've seen the burden that God has laid on men. How, how, how merciful of the writer of, of Ecclesiastes to say that, right? That I see the burden that God has placed on men, right? And he's made everything beautiful in its time. And he's also set eternity in the hearts of human beings. So we have this emotional space that makes decisions that was built to house the hope of eternity. It's no wonder people are constantly trying to figure out how to fill it, right? Watch teenagers. Watch teenagers as they begin to figure out their heart, as they begin to figure out, what do I do with my life? How do I fill my life? And watch the dumb decisions they make along the way, Right? And when you were a teenager and I was a teenager, we were doing the same dumb things. It just seems dumber now that we're through it and we look back at our kids doing it. Yes? Right? And then we want to say to our kids, I just don't want you to do what I did. That might be the dumbest thing parents have ever said. Because guess what kids are going to do? They're going to do exactly what we did. And they're just going to make us feel bad about who we were when we were raising them. Right? But, but what a conundrum. Right, as I think about this series every week, I think to myself, what a conundrum that we, that we have, right? A, pr- a brain that processes emotions but also makes decisions and a heart that was built to house eternity. What a complicated process it is, right? Because there's this constant conflict. Here's what John says about our freedom, right? To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, Right? Then, everybody read this with me online in here. Then you will know the truth and the truth. Right? Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. He said this, right? It is for what? That Christ has set you what? Free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Listen, in Jesus, we've been set free from that broken, corrupted, neural pathway, right, response to our outside stimuli. We've been set free from that. We've been redeemed. We've been rescued. We have been saved from that burden of that slavery. Somebody say amen. The, the, the problem is, is that we still walk. Listen. When you, when I'm young and Joe was young and we were coming out of Bible college, right? Four year education in our belt. We knew everything, right? And when we went to churches and we encountered people who struggled with this, this balance, right? I'm free in Jesus, but I'm still burdened in slavery to my emotions. We simply looked at those people at 22 years of age and judged them as not being Christians, right? We should have never been given pulpits at 22, right? But that's the way we went through the process. But now that we're older, here's what we understand. That the human...
the human who loves Jesus, who's endowed with the truth, right, that sets us free in Jesus, right, that person always struggles at times with the burden of being yoked again to the slavery of who they are. And I know by looking in this room, and and I can't see you online, but my guess is all of us know that struggle. Yes or no? We all know it. And where we hear it most expressed in ways that we can relate to is in the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is not a book of theology. It's a book of humans expressing this struggle. And it's the hymnal of these people. These were songs that they sang in relationship to their love for God and their struggle as human beings. Right? We talk about worship songs today. Oh, they're so centered. They're so focused on us. Have you read Psalms? Have you read the songs that they sang, that the sons of Korah sang, that Asaph, the choir director, led? These were songs that were predominantly consumed by the writer's emotions and struggle. Did it focus ultimately on the promise that we have in God and the fulfillment? Yes. But to act as if worship songs shouldn't come from a place of a human being struggle is to be ignorant of what the Psalms, the songs of praise that were written, were written like. They were written with that struggle in mind. Listen, if we ever want to be effective, first of all, in our own lives, we're going to have to acknowledge that struggle. You have it, I have it. Right? There are, there are processes in our brain that immediately click emotional responses and emotional decisions based on how we feel. And yet there's a freedom that we have in Jesus that we're never supposed to allow ourselves to be bonded to that slavery again. And yet every person in here, every person online knows that struggle. Yes, that's our struggle. Bible also says this, Right? We don't just have truth to set us free, right? Because listen, truth and feelings don't often go together, correct? Anybody ever get up and feel fat? Right? You just get up sometimes, you're like, I just feel bloated, right? And you get on a scale and you're not fat, right? You didn't gain 10 pounds overnight, but you feel that way, don't you? Right? It's the way it works. Right? There's all kinds of feelings that we have that just aren't based on truth. So there's this conflict in us all the time. Feeling versus truth. Feeling versus truth. And here's the thing. Most of us don't want to do what we don't feel like doing. Yes or no? That's just the way we are. The problem is truth doesn't care how you feel. Some of you said that to your kids before when you were raising them. Right? I don't feel like doing that, mom. Right? I don't care how you feel. Clean your room, right? That's str- listen. We know that struggle and we know it personally. Because every person in here, everybody watch online knows the struggle between truth and feeling. We just do. There's also this struggle in us. Romans 8:37 says, right? Now in all these things, we have been made more than say it with me conquerors through him who loved us. A military term, right? About victory, about where we stand in relationship to battle. We've been made more than conquerors. Second Timothy 1.7 says this, for this reason, I remind you to fan into a flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Listen to the gift that God gives. For God did not give us a spirit of what? 
timidity or fear, but he gave us a spirit of, say it with me, of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Listen, there's a battle in every believer in this room and every believer online between truth and feeling. And there's a battle between every believer in here and every believer online between this notion of feeling and the power we have to overcome it. Because there are things that you and I give into that we feel powerless over. Yes or no? We all have those things, right? That feeling is so ingrained in our neural pathway of that part of our brain that when we feel it, we immediately surrender to it because we just can't overcome it. Well, I'm just angry. I'm just angry, right? And that anger immediately triggers this response in our brain. If you're angry and that's how you feel, this is what you do. This is what you say. The problem is, if you're a believer, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer such things that want to bring you into that slavery. Does anybody ever feel that tension and fight inside of you? Yes, you do. All the time. And why do we talk about Psalms? Because it's in the Psalms, it's in these songs, it's in this hymnal where you and I get to experience the expression of people just like you and me. Because the reality is, you and I are going to face this struggle for the majority of our life. How do we deal with that conflict between feeling and truth? I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel, I feel sad. I feel alone. I feel angry. I feel afraid. I feel fat. I feel hungry. I feel sleepy. I feel tired, man. You just listen. There's a million things, right? Well, I just feel like I'm in love. Well, how do you know you love? I just feel it, right? Over and over and over again, emotions drive decisions. And yet truth, how often does truth disagree with feeling? A lot, right? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't feel like exercising when I get done here tonight. And I guarantee you in this room and online, I'm not going to be the only one that feels that way, right? I'm not going to feel like it. But here's the truth. If I want to be better, if I want to truly not feel better, but actually be better, you know what I should do? I should what? I should exercise. I'll keep it to yourselves. I don't want to hear it, right? But you see how the intersection is? Well, I just, it's 10 o'clock at night. And you know what? I just feel like a snack. Anybody ever struggle with that? Oh, yeah. You know you should go to bed. Because you know the truth is that the food that you eat right before you go to bed doesn't do anything but turn into fat. Because you just don't burn those calories while you're sleeping. But you know what a lot of people will do before they go to bed? When they feel like having a snack? You know what they'll lean into? They'll lean into feeling more than truth. Right? Happens all the time. We always feel that intersection, but we also feel the intersection of hopelessness. I can't overcome this. I'm just not going to be able to get, I'm just not going to be able to get free from this. The battle that you as a believer and I face between these ideas of how we feel in decision-making versus truth and the power to overcome, that is the battle that you 
fight. It's the battle that your spouse fights. It's the battle that your child that you baptized into Jesus fights. It's the battle that the person sitting in front of you fights. It's the person who is a believer fights. Every person fights it. And here's the thing. We've lost our sensitivity to that struggle. We've lost the merciful part of the faithful high priest. And the reality is you don't get one without the other. It's just not possible. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Does that struggle make sense to you? Yes or no? Four of you. Okay. Does that struggle make sense to you? Right. I know it does. Right. So last week we talked about loneliness, a human emotion. And the reason we talked about loneliness first is because according to most researchers, the number one feeling that's overwhelming a society right now is the feeling of loneliness. It's, it's, it's completely crippling a generation of young people. The constant fear of loneliness, the constant overwhelming in a world where they're more digitally, right? And electronically connected than ever before. A nation, a generation in our nation is feeling more lonely and not just them, right? It's across all age groups. It's across all demographics. It's across all sexes. It is an epidemic in our society. That's why we talked about loneliness first, right? Today we talk about fear. And here's why. I want to show you this picture. So this is a picture. I showed you this a long, long time ago, right? Maslow was a, was a psychiatrist, right? Who came up with years ago this idea of what he called a hierarchy of needs that you and I as human beings have. Still used after all these years, right? And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Here's what you're going to conclude, whether it's a physiological need, whether it's a safety need, whether it's a love and belonging need, whether it's a self-esteem, self-respect need, or whether if it's a self-actualization need, right? Becoming, becoming all that you can be, whether it's any of these areas, right? Whether it's any of these areas, here's what most, right? Most psychiatrists, most psychologists will tell you the most primal emotion. The most primal emotion that every human being will experience is fear. It's the most primal. And it's based on this idea, right? I mean, you think about it. Physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, right? If you've ever experienced life without air, water, food, shelter, sleep, or clothing, tell me how close to the surface the emotion of fear is. It's overwhelming. The reason why God has asked the church to be so central, right, in meeting needs of people at a ministry level is to remove people from this level. Because here's the thing. You're never going to get people to focus on faith in Jesus if you don't meet their physical needs. So why did Jesus say if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink, right? If they're naked, clothe them. Why? Because until people feel safe here, they're never, ever going to consider Jesus. So why do we have a food pantry? Right? Why do we have a thrift store? Why do we ask you to contribute to all of that? Here's why. Because we know people, you know people, that until this need is met, there's no chance they're ever going to come to faith in Jesus. So one of the huge things every church should do is meet physiological needs. That's the way it should be. And Jesus commanded individuals and he commanded the church to be involved in meeting these needs. Right? 
but remove those needs, safety needs. One of our staff members, a grandmother of a 10-year-old son, has been wandering the woods and the streets of Ormond Beach for the last four hours, riddled with fear. Why? Because the safety needs of her 10-year-old grandson were uncertain. Anybody in here ever feel unsafe? Man, if you have, how close to the surface is fear? And you just go on. I mean, listen, love. I mean, how many people currently right now are crippled in the fear that nobody's going to love them or that the person that says they love them doesn't really love them, right? Listen, and the higher you go up, the bigger the risk. I certainly believe those that write that the most primal emotion that a human being experiences is fear, which is why we're going to talk about fear tonight. Now, I've already made a commitment to myself and I'll make it to you. There's no way I'm getting through all the verses that I have written for you to go through. So there's a good chance this one's going to be a two-parter. All right? Because I'm not going to keep you here till midnight, right? So let's talk about this first, okay? There is such thing as a healthy fear. Everybody say healthy fear, right? The Bible speaks of healthy fear. Let's read some verses. Psalm 14, 1. The fool, everybody say fool. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Psalm 36, verse 1 says this. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, the Bible speaks first and foremost to a healthy fear. Proverbs 9, 10 says it this way, right? This should be a verse that everybody, everybody who knows Jesus should have memorized or underlined. The fear, everybody say fear. Of the Lord, a healthy fear, is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One becomes understanding. Listen, the Bible is going to go on and on and on. And going to speak of this. There is such thing as a healthy fear. Now listen. How many of you have heard this verse before? Right? And how many of you have ever heard preachers preach on this verse? Right, And here's what all of them want to say. That's, that fear, that just means awe and reverence. Right? Listen, if you research that word for fear, it is very inclusive of all these emotions. Let's think about it for a second. How much power does God have? How much knowledge does God have? Right? How long has God been here? And how long will he be here? Forever. Right? Apparently, according to this book, he created everything in how many days? Six days. He rested on the seventh, right? We'll give you that one, okay? Right? If the God who knows all, who's always been and always will be, has all authority, it would seem right that the first response of anybody who acknowledges him should be what? Fear. Listen. I was raised by an authoritarian father. He scared me to death. Right? Listen, when you come into contact with somebody, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. And I know some of you are going to be like, oh, that's not me. Fine, whatever, right? How many of you have been driving along and you've seen, you've seen a cop 
And the first thing that you felt was fear. How many? Okay. I know some of you are like, that's not me. Okay. Good for you. Okay. Right. But the majority of people who come into contact with authority, their first response is to feel just a little tinge of fear. The Bible says the fool says in their heart, there's no God. But for those that acknowledge God, he says the fear of that God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of that same God, he says, is understanding. There's a healthy fear that every one of us should have. I mean, listen, do you know what God could do anytime God wants to do it? He could do what? He could do whatever he wants. I mean, whatever he wants. Right, we read scripture, Luke one thirty seven says, nothing is impossible with God. So God could do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And I'm just me. Do you know how much authority, how much power, how much control I have when it comes to the light of how much authority and how much power God has? I am so minuscule, I'm nearly invisible. I mean, I've flown in a plane, 35, 36, 37, 38,000 feet in the air, so far up in the air that I can't even see a human being on the ground, right? I might know where they're at, but I can't see them. That's how infinitesimal, multiplied by God knows what number, how much authority and power I have when it comes to what God has. The fool says there is no God. Those of us that say there is a God, the Bible says the fear of him is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. There's a healthy fear. Psalm 34, 7 says it this way. The angel of the Lord, listen to this. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who what? Fear him and he delivers them. How about this verse? Psalm 34, 9 says this. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him, what? Nothing. They lack nothing. How about this one? Psalm 33, 8 and 9. Let all the earth, what? Fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Two different words, right? Two different words in the Hebrew language. One is fear, one is revere. One has to do with understanding who he is and what he can do. And the other has to do with being in all of that. Right? But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says, for he spoke... And it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. I mean, it's crazy how much power and authority God has, right? How about this one, right? How about this verse? Among the gods, right, there is none like you. O Lord, no deeds can compare with yours, right? All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. So the psalmist says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an un, listen to this, give me an undivided heart that I may what? Fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You've delivered me from the depths of the grave. You see, here's the thing about fear. It divides our heart. A healthy fear makes our heart undivided. 
An unhealthy fear will divide our heart. That's what the word, the word worry means. The word worry means to cut off or to divide or to separate, right? The idea of fear is it disconnects you from the thing that would make you feel unafraid. That's why worry is such a sin because worry tells, tells God, my heart right? Is no longer undivided. It's now divided. There's a part that trusts you and there's a part that's worried sick about this. Anybody experience worry in that regard? Yeah, you certainly have. That's why worry is considered a sin because the Bible says we should love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with all of our strength. An undivided heart is a heart that worries. An undivided heart is one that has a proper fear of God, right? Psalm 112 says it this way. In verse one, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man or the woman who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands, right? So let's be clear, right? Everybody online, everybody here. Everything that we're gonna know and everything that we're gonna understand, everything we're gonna learn how to apply begins with a proper fear of the Lord. Somebody say amen. Right? We need to be aware of that. And listen, I believe with all of my heart, and I don't want to sound like an old crusty guy, right? But I do believe that we've lost a sense of that fear with God. That we have so minimized him that he almost seems to fit in my pocket. As if somehow we as humans have more power and authority than God himself does. Even within our churches. Listen, worship, worship comes from an undivided heart that understands who he is and who I am. Which is why worship is is described and pictured as a person who is prostate before him. Why would you prostate yourself unless you have a proper understanding of who he is? Right? A proper fear, a healthy fear, a fear of the Lord will solidify your heart. An unhealthy one will divide it, will separate a part of it. And that will be the part that you worry. That will be the part that you're afraid of. That will be the part that you fret over. That will be the part that you don't trust God in. And what's God want? How much of your heart does he want? He wants what? All of your heart. That's why fear is such a powerful Work of the enemy, right? It divides our heart. And for some of you right now, listen, I don't know your stories, whether you're online or in here, but my guess is some of you are experiencing an undivided or a divided heart right now. You've got stories and situations that are playing out in your life where you want to feel divided. You want to feel afraid. You want to fret. You want to worry, right? And what do you do with that? Well, the Bible says the first thing you do is you center your heart to where it's undivided. And where does that start? A fear of the Lord, right? Because when you do that, the Bible says he will encamp. The angel of the Lord will encamp around you and you will lack 
nothing. That's why Paul says when you pray, right, with every prayer and every petition and you make these supplications known to God, the peace of God, right, the peace of God, right, will surround our hearts and our mind. It won't be understandable to you, but God's peace will surround your heart and mind. And that term surround is a military term. It's the idea of putting putting a garrison around your heart and your mind so that you're militarily protected against the enemy. That's why we should pray when we're afraid. Why we should pray when we worry. Now listen, some of you are, how many of you like to journal, write stuff out, right? And if you're online and you like to journal, just write yes, right in the chat, right? I'm not a journaler. I'm a verbal processor. I would rather verbally process it than write it out. Anybody like to verbally process more than write? Yeah, right? I like that. I like to be able to verbally process, right? The psalmist... Right. The psalmist wrote, right, these songs and they're part of a journal, right, of the struggle that humans have in this dilemma. Because the world that we live in, in this already but not yet, has things that attack us that make us want to worry. Yes or no? Right. We all know they are what they are, whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's family, whether it's our marriage, our relationship, whether it's our job, you name it. There's a million things that we could worry about. There's a million things your teenagers worrying about. There's a million things that your adolescent is worried about. There's a million things that your aging parent is worrying about. We all have a million things that can divide our heart in that struggle. Right. What do we do? Well, one of the first things that you and I can do is learn how to express and emote that emotion in a safe place. Here's the thing. Those of you that like to journal, you're sort of safe because most of the time, nobody else is going to read your journal, right? Because you have it hidden someplace where nobody really knows where it's at. Please don't put it on your phone because we will find it, Okay. But that's what a diary was, right? Remember those diaries back in the 70s that had that stupid little key that went in there, right? Right? What was a diary? It was just a place where you wrote how you felt, right? You wrote terrible things about your parents in there, right? You wrote about the boy that you liked that didn't like you, right? You wrote about all that silly stuff in there. What was it? It was your expression of this struggle. For those of you who like to verbally process your struggles... Find safe places to do it. You see, part of the problem with being a verbal... And this is... Listen, this is a guy that has had to learn this, right? I like to verbally process. And one of the most dangerous things that a verbal processor does is they don't understand the safety element involved in where you express it. Because when you share words with people, right? What does the Bible say? That there is power of life and what? Death in the tongue. Right. When you make that verbal contract with somebody by sharing with them your emotional state in regard to your struggle of faith, you immediately place a burden of trust on those people. And many of you in here and many of you online have experienced this process. I verbally process to you and I trust you with it, but then I don't recognize it's unsafe. So then that person goes and tells another person, you're never going to guess what Cord told me. Anybody experience that, right? And by the time it gets back to you, what they have said is 900 degrees away from what you actually said, right? If you're going to be a verbal processor, find a safe place to process your faith. 
Because if the person that you process it with isn't merciful and faithful, you've picked the wrong person, right? There's a compassion element needed and there's a trust element needed. That's why the Bible says when you're in need of mercy and grace, when you're in a time of trouble, go to Jesus because he is a place where you'll get mercy and grace when you need it, right? But it's a struggle, right? But the healthy fear, listen, right? Well, I got through the introduction in one point, right? Right? But, but, but let's be clear. There's a healthy fear that all of us, all of us who know God should have. And the power of that healthy fear is it keeps our heart from being undivided. Fear, anxiety, worry, fretting has one goal, to divide your heart. And the bigger the worry, the bigger the division of your heart. And what's the Bible say? Remember, remember your heart is the epicenter, right? Of emotional output and decisions. What does the Bible say? It says, guard your heart for out of your heart come all the decisions of life. If the enemy can divide a bigger section of your heart, right? Then the Bible says this, where your treasure is, the thing that you're devoted to, wherever that is, your heart will do what? It will follow. So guess what happens to worriers? The bigger a part of their heart goes to worry, the bigger their part, a part of their heart goes to fear. Guess what becomes their treasure? The thing they cling to is their worry, their fear, their anxiety, their fretting. You know these people. Maybe some of you are these people. That's simply the work of the devil. The reason why you need to know about this healthy fear is it's the only way to have an undivided heart toward God. And an undivided heart, a heart that fears the Lord, the Bible says is encamped with an angel of the Lord. And that person lacks nothing. Somebody say amen, right? So here's what we're going to do when I, when we get back together, we're going to finish this by talking about the heartfelt cry of fear. Listen, the psalmist write their heartfelt cries of fear. You need to hear them. We need to hear them so you understand there is this conundrum that we live in between how we feel and what truth is. And there has, listen, there has to be a place for that, right? There has to be a place for that. So if you're online or if you're in here and you need a place to talk about that conundrum, that struggle, that tension, that's why we're here. That's why pastors are here, right? People don't have to come to pastors and say, listen, I know you're busy and I don't want to bother you. Stop saying that, right? Shepherds always have time for sheep. We always have time to minister. So don't say in a time of need, I'm really sorry. I know you're busy. Listen, it's the only reason we're here. Yes, we can stay busy with stupid stuff, but you're the most important thing. Right? Some of the papers that are stacked on our desk is, desk don't mean near as much as being there for you. So if you're in need of a safe place to come and to talk, listen, reach out to us. Don't, don't live in an undivided world where that heart is so divided by fear and anxiety and fretting that you don't know how to move forward. Listen to the heartfelt cries of the psalmist. And then we're going to conclude with a hope-filled response to fear. Because there is one. And here's the danger of the hope-filled response to fear. 
is it's going to sound trite and it's going to sound churchy. And we have got to get over the notion that everything is true. Everything that's true in scripture sounds trite. It doesn't matter if it sounds trite or churchy. It's true. And remember where we started. You shall know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Listen, you can call it trite, right? You can call it churchy, but never ignore truth. Because it's the only way to be free from that broken filter of your emotions that want to leave you in bondage to that kind of life. Does that make sense to you, church?